Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning into my podcast once again. Hopefully, once again, I will try to deliver something that's useful to you. Uh, maybe something you didn't know or were not aware of at the time. A lot of stuff going on this week, especially today, and we'll get into that in uh, just a bit. We're going to talk about a whole, bunch, a whole bunch of things. So we're going to talk about Texas. We're going to talk about one of my favorite shows, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But first, we'll talk about more about my life on dialysis, things that go on at my clinic. So, thank you for, for coming back to the Chairland Chronicles. Stick around. Hopefully, I'll be able to entertain you for the next hour. All right, stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Dr. Love, and we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, so let me give you a little bit more background about what's going on at my clinic. We're still having a severe nursing shortage. Our facility administrator is no longer there. She's gone. She's been gone two weeks now. They haven't found, I don't know who does the hiring at, at this place, but it seems to take forever. They knew this gal was leaving. They could have started looking for somebody, but uh, I don't know. Whoever Human Resources is, they do a pretty piss poor job, if you ask me. So we're still without a regular floor nurse. So we're relying on somebody that left us to begin with because uh, another nurse had taken him to his clinic and shirts I don't know it's a, they play these weird games uh, these people so now I hear from my uh, patient advocate that this particular nurse wants to come back permanently to our clinic well why did you leave to begin with you know that's, that's my question so anyway uh, he tells me why don't you talk to the social worker and put in a good word for him that, you know, he, we need to keep him, we need to keep him. And I said, why should I, if he wanted to leave, if he was dumb enough to let himself be swayed by this guy to leave in the first place, well, that's on you. Why should I go around trying to put in a good word for you when you you didn't want to have anything to do with us? That's, I see that as you're abandoning the people at that clinic because somebody thought, you were some sort of rising star and they were going to take you to their clinic to put you in there as as a as a uh, 
centerpiece for them. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to be with us, you're with us. It's just like a, a military unit. You're, you're, everybody's six together through thick and thin. You know, when people leave, it's because they get transferred out or their time's up. I get that. But when you willingly leave or you willingly put in for a transfer, that's on you. So you should not come back. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't be able to have that privilege to pick and choose. He's not that great a nurse anyway. I've seen better in the time that I've been there. So once again, I, I've already celebrated my fourth anniversary. It's not like anybody gave me a cake or anything. But uh, so I'm at the clinic Wednesday. And I'm next to my this other chairmate of mine by the name of Galvan. And uh, he... Uh, He's there next to me, and, you know, he's doing his thing. He sleeps most of the time. I sleep for an hour or so. And then I see these two faces, excuse me, that I haven't seen before. don't know who they are. So it's a man and a woman, and they go up next to this the guy next to me, my chairmate, Galvan. And the technician that took them to him says, you know, this is Mr. Galvan, da 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 you know, and then, then she pointed at me, she goes, this one's Hernandez. I'm like, oh, snap, I'm getting sucked into this this deal, too. What is this bullshit? So then they start talking to him. They're going to come back, and they're going to they're gonna do an interview with both of us. And he looks at me, and I look at him, and we give each other the polar salute, you know. I don't know what's going on. Don't ask me. He said, they're going to ask me questions. Well, you know, we'll find out, man. You're going to go first, obviously. So, they're running around, and all of a sudden, here comes the doctor. He's making his rounds. So, he confronts him. You know, what are, what are, da, 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 what are they doing? What's going on? So, the doctor's like, I don't I have no earthly idea. Nobody tells me these things. So, he goes, let me go find out. So the doctor comes back and he says they they represent the federal government in some sort of program. I have no earthly idea what the program is, but it seems they're interested in me and Galvan. I don't know what it is. I don't know if, if we're the least worst off or the worst off to begin with. We are pretty much two of the youngest people there. He's 37, I'm 61. The median age there is about 75 of the people that are there. There is one kid, uh, I don't know his name, but I know I know him by sight. He's 21, but they didn't go talk to him. So obviously they want somebody or a couple of people that have been around the block a couple of times. So anyway, they go to Galvan, they start talking to him. So I pulled my earpiece out of my ear because I was watching TV. Now I want to hear what they're going to ask him. It seems they asked him a range of questions, not so much concerning his time at dialysis, but his time away from dialysis. When he's at home, how does he feel? How does he get around? What's his mobility like? You know, does he get any exercise? Um, does he have trouble walking? Does he use a cane? Does he have... They were really concerned with foot ulcers because they kept asking him if he had any ulcers of the feet or toes or any fungus now this brings me to an interesting point 
when I was going to a clinic at uh, at the old Lutheran Hospital on uh, Zarzamora, which is now the Diabetes Center, uh, they have three pieces of art hanging from the ceiling. It's a heart, an eye, and a foot. Now, to the untrained eye, these are just random pieces. But if you're on, if you're a diabetic or on dialysis, you know that those are the three major organs that are affected by diabetes: your eyes, your heart, and your feet. Uh, so, uh, the one thing that um, always concerned me about my clinic is if you go upstairs, there's a, uh, a vascular clinic upstairs, and they have several vascular surgeons. I would, I guess, are surgeons. They also have a podiatrist. He's a foot doctor by the name of Dr. Sear, C-Y-R. Now, I know Dr. Sear because when I went to the hospital uh, a year and a half ago, when I had an infected toe on my left foot, and my doctor, my, my regular podiatrist, Dr. Uribe, told me that it was infected and she needed me to go get an MRI because it was infected to the bone. They were going to have to remove the toe and... Man, that just started a whole bunch of crap for me. So I have to drag, I drag myself to the MRI. They take the MRI, they send it to the, to the doctor. The doctor calls me, you need to go to the hospital, you need to tell them you need to have an amputation. What? So I drag myself to the, to the ER. I tell them exactly what my doctor told me. And they said, okay, we'll prep you for surgery. So they admitted me into the hospital, got me out of the ER, put me up in a room, brought all the forms I needed to sign for an amputation. I did my uh, DNR, my do not resuscitate order. Uh, I signed the papers to remove the toe, the disposal of the toe, blah, 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 blah. So then I'm there and I'm praying, you know, and in comes Dr. Sear. Dr. Sear at that time at, at uh, Downtown Baptist Hospital was the senior doctor. Actually, he was the only doctor that ran the wound center at Downtown Baptist Hospital. So then Dr. Sear takes a look at my toe and he says, no. We do not have to amputate this toe. We can save it. He goes, what I'm going to recommend is a heavy dose of round-the-clock antibiotics. We're going to keep you here a couple of days, and we're just going to pump you full of antibiotics by IV, by infusion. And then we're going to send you home with three or four bottles full of antibiotics that you're going to take orally. And we're going to beat this infection. I had a strip on my toe about uh, three quarters of an inch long and about an eighth of an inch wide. It was just a raw open sore that would scab over and then it would juice up and the scab would fall off and then I would clean it and put a fresh dressing on it. 
And that's the way I was going. But because I'm diabetic, it takes a long time for, for wounds to heal, especially on your feet. So they, I'm there in the hospital for two days. They got me on, on IV antibiotics. And the, the wound started to shrink. He was very pleased. So, sure enough, true to form, they released me from the hospital, sent me home with a bunch of antibiotics to take by mouth. And I followed the instructions. I cleaned the wound daily. I dressed it daily. And I took my antibiotics. And I saw the doctor at the wound center every week, once a week. After the third week... The infection had healed. There was no scab. It was just a large uh, callus of skin. It's still there. You know, it's just a big, this big strip of callus over my big toe. And uh, then Dr. Shear told me that he was, I wasn't going to be coming to this center anymore because they were going to, going to, they were going to close the wound center at the hospital for, I guess, budget cuts. So Dr. Sear was going to go into private practice. Then I find out that Dr. Sear is on the staff upstairs at the vascular clinic. This is my question. If our feet, our heart, and our teeth are so important, especially in dialysis, because those are the three things that fail, and if you, if you find most people that die during dialysis die of a heart attack, or their heart fails. It's something that has to do with the heart because as they remove your blood, they remove calcium. And calcium is one of the minerals that is needed by your heart to function properly. If it doesn't have the proper calcium, it doesn't function right. I myself have a an arterial fibrillation that I'd never had before. Now, my cardiologist tells me that it's nothing to worry about. He says he doesn't think it's caused by dialysis, but he's not going to rule that out because it's also something that was common in men my age and my size. I'm a big guy. Okay, so that's fine. But anyway, let's get back to the toe. So anyway, Dr. Sear is on staff upstairs because his name's on the plaque, Dr. C-Y-R. There he is. Now, we used to have a cardiologist in our in our not in our clinic but in our building. Doctor, he's my he's my cardiologist, Doctor Diaz. I see him about twice a year, just to keep an eye on my heart. So I never understood why they never had the cardiologist come to check our hearts, and a podiatrist to come check our feet. Because let me tell you something, I've seen some of these people's feet and oh my god my feet don't look that bad i managed to be able to I'm, i i can still access my feet i can keep them clean i can trim the nails you know i have to be very careful like my doctor tells me because if i cut too deep i can get an infection then we start this whole roller coaster all over again so i don't i don't i don't understand why Dr. Sear can't come down and check our feet on both sets of patients, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, all three tiers, and tell us where we're at. 
because it would help. Because many of us have our, I mean, it's like I told, I've told you before, I have a whole team of doctors that I see. I have my primary care physician. I have my nephrologist, Dr. Velez, at the clinic. I have two vascular surgeons, three, three vascular surgeons. Dr. Beats with PVA, who I see twice a year also. He monitors my, my legs because I have poor circulation in my lower extremities. Dr. Ochoa, who put my fistula in, in my right arm. And Dr. Oh, what's his name? Bolaris. He's the vascular surgeon upstairs at the vascular clinic. He's the one that checks our accesses at least once or twice a year, depending on what the, what the necessity is. So then I have my podiatrist. I have a neurologist because I have PTSD. I, did, I, I knew there was something wrong with me upstairs, but I just didn't know what. Now I do. Uh, let's see. Who else do I have? That's it. Oh, no, and then my cardiologist, uh, Dr. Diaz. There you go. I have a whole team of doctors. <coughs> Funny thing is, not one of these doctors talks to the other about me. And I keep bringing that up to all of them. Yeah, you talk to my, my primary, you talk to this guy, you know. <coughs> and I don't know, they, they don't seem to communicate with each other. You would think if they were seeing a, if you're seeing a team of doctors, they would all manage to stay in contact with each other and say, hey, what's this going on with Hernandez? This and that and the other thing. Let's, let's check it out. I don't understand how doctors work sometimes. They, they're, they're a unique little animal all on their own. So, Dr. Sear, Dr. Beats, vascular guys, foot guys. My regular podiatrist is Dr. Adriana Uribe with Central Med. She's a pretty good doc, but I have issues because she's the one that sent me to the gallows to have my toe removed to begin with. And you know, I understand she was erring on the side of caution. And that's what Dr. Sear told me, you know, because I was really seriously going to, to switch her out and find another podiatrist, but he said, no, look, she had to make a call, and that's what doctors do sometimes, and it's not always the right call or the best call, you know, so doctors being human make mistakes, so that's what we have to learn to live with, because we all had heard those horror stories about when doctors make mistakes or remove something that shouldn't have been removed, uh, which is why doctors will ask you, if you're going in for a, for a foot or a knee surgery, they'll ask you, uh, which which leg are we working on to make sure they know the right one and then they'll write no on the good one so that way they don't cut the wrong one open which they have done in the past you know doctors are human beings and they make mistakes and we fault them for it I mean that's why they have to carry malpractice insurance but anyway that's some of the stuff that's going on in my clinic. So anyway, getting back, let's get back to these people, these these two government uh, investigators. I guess they're they're registered nurses. They they're, they're practicing nurses. That's what they told me. But I'm gonna have my interview tomorrow because it just got too late in the day during my treatment that there was not gonna be another because they're gonna it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to conduct this survey.
Now, there are questions I have to ask these people. Where is this going to get me? What is this going to do for me? What's the next step after you? After I answer your questions? Is this going to put me further up the line for a kidney? Or is this going to push me further down the line? You know, there's a lot of things that can happen with this survey. Especially when your, your, your regular doctor tells you that he has really no earthly idea. They send these people to their clinic to do research. And once again, they don't seem to tell anybody what's going on. Which is highly questionable to me because we should know. If anything, we should know what goes on. So anyway, they I was watching what they were doing with Galvan. They pulled his shoe off because they were very concerned with his foot. She put a, a flow monitor on his foot to see the blood flow. So, they're, so it has something to do with the, the flow of blood in your lower extremities. So, like I said, tomorrow is my turn. If they show up at all, well, we'll see. And I will get back to you with more details as to what's going on. So, I'm going to wrap this segment up because I've been yapping for 20 minutes. So, let's move on. Let's talk about some other things and uh, see what happens. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thanks for sticking around. Stick a little bit with me a little bit longer and we'll, we'll get to the end of this. I promise. Thanks. Welcome back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Well, if you're wondering what that is that you're listening to, today is April 21st. On this day in 1836. 910 Texans defeated the army of Santa Ana at a place called San Jacinto which is now Lacoste but this song is called El De Huello which means slit throat this is a song that serenaded the defenders of the Alamo. And as I'm telling you this, it's choking me up. Because on this day, the defenders of the Alamo and of Goliath were avenged by Sam Houston's army of the Republic of Texas. That wasn't a republic yet. Wasn't even a nation yet. Just a ragtag band of farmers and cowboys that just didn't like the Mexicans telling them what to do. 
So this is a song that was played the night the Alamo fell. And you know the rest. So after the massacre at the Alamo and the fall of Goliad, Sam Houston's army just kept marching further and further into Texas, trying to get away from Santana's army of eight of 6,000 men. But what seems like an act of cowardice was a brilliant military strategy. Because by Sam Houston moving further and further deeper into Texas, Santana had to stretch his army thinner and thinner, and he was no longer the 6,000-man juggernaut that had taken the Alamo. As a matter of fact, when Santana was within a few miles of, of Sam Houston, but he had been marching his army so hard and starving his men that they were exhausted. They camped at a little place called San Jacinto. And Sam Houston sent scouts out to survey the army. Santa Ana made a lot of mistakes that day. There was one bridge across a creek that was not guarded that later on Sam Houston and his men would burn down, burn to the ground. There were no sentries posted. Their flanks were unprotected. Sam Houston was tired of running. Sam Houston gathered his army together, 910 Texans. And they came charging out of the woods towards Santa Ana's camp and engaged him in battle. Took the exhausted Mexicans by surprise. They killed half of his army and took the other half prisoner. Before the battle had even begun, it was over. The battle lasted 18 minutes. And the Texans were victorious. He sent out parties to round up the escaping Mexican soldiers. They caught a group of soldiers, and there was something very odd about one of the privates, or a man that was dressed like a private. Turned out that that was Santa Ana himself. They took him prisoner and took him before Sam Houston. And under a tree... On the banks of that creek, Santana signed over all of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and a good chunk of California over to Texans, to the Texans. And the war for Texas independence was over. So Texas was now its own republic. And it would later become a state of the Union because the president at that time was a very shrewd man and saw the opportunity to expand the borders of the United States all the way to California. And 
the territories of Arizona and New Mexico and California would be established and a good part of Oklahoma. So, today is the day of Texas independence. I am a Texan. I love Texas. There's only one place I would go live if it wasn't Texas, and that would be Israel. Because it's a lot like Texas. They just don't speak Texan. But I wonder how long it would be before I could get them to speak Texan. Be saying things like y'all and, you know, over yonder and whatnot. Things like that. Who knows? But that is a brief history of Texas. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you I hope you learned something. And uh, I have a an account on Twitter that I just created. It is Ben Hur nineteen sixty six one four. But for some reason I can't access it. But I mean, you can get a hold of me through Twitter through my Twitter Twitter account. But I will get back to you with the actual detail. I think, I'm pretty sure that's it. Ben Hur, 196614 on Twitter. All right. Well, you just heard this, the history of, the, of, of Texas. Thank you for sticking around and listening. We'll be back with more stuff. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around. We'll be right back. And welcome back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Well, that song you're listening to is an old song that was recorded back in the late 60s by the Kinks. It's called Lola. Now, Lola was a very popular song, but many people didn't really understand the lyrics because nobody really listened to the lyrics, I guess, back then. But Lola is a song about a boy who is a girl, a transgendered person. This was the first delve into transgenderism where boys becoming women, girls, that we dealt with back in those days. And it was a big issue because men who wanted to be women were still in the closet, so to speak, at the time. Not anymore. If you're up with current events, you know what's going on in Florida. You know that they passed this bill, which everybody's calling the no, don't say gay bill, but the word gay is never mentioned in the bill. Uh, you know my politics. I've never hid them from anybody. I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm a starch conservative. But I do bend, but I won't break. If you want to be a girl, but you're a boy, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I've never had a problem with what you want to put in your mouth or any other part of your body. If you're a girl that wants to be a boy, you want to be a, you're a lesbian, you're gay, you're straight, you're trans. I have trans friends. I have gay friends. It doesn't bother me. 
but everybody's so woke nowadays that we have to give everybody their due. And that's kind of where I draw the line because as a stand-up comic, there has to be some things that are not sacred. You have to be able to make poke fun at anything and everything. Gays, blacks, Jews, Asians, Mexicans, trans, everybody. You know, Catholics, everybody. But it gets harder and harder now in this day and age because somebody's going to say, oh, you're transphobic or you're homophobic or you're, you're uh, aerophobic or you're, you're Islamophobic, you know. Somebody's got an ism or a schism. And it can lead you in court with a lawsuit, you know, because somebody's offended. You know, it's come down to the to the point where you don't need to grow a thick skin to get through life. Um, it's just so many things that are happening now, and I guess part of the problem with the the law in Florida, it's not a problem with the law in Florida, the, the problem with people in Florida is they wanted to teach human sexuality to, to, to second graders. Now, pre-K, first and second grade got better things to do to learn than whether or not you're trans or gay or whatever. You need to learn to read, write, add, subtract, multiply, and divide first. And then you can figure out when you get to junior high school whether you like boys or whether you like girls. It's really that simple. They're pushing so many things now way faster than I think what most people are ready to handle. I mean, some people can't even handle life at 18. I mean, I was explaining this to my mom the other day is that I was in the Navy. I was 17 years old. Hadn't even been laid yet. And I was in charge of multi-million dollar equipment. I served on a billion dollar submarine, which at any given point in time had so many moving parts that they would kill you if you didn't know what you were doing. And I did not have time to decide whether I was gay, straight, or bi. That would come later. But now they want to force second graders, they want to force six-year-olds into deciding who they are sexually. Am I straight? Am I bi? Am I trans? Kids don't have time. I remember when I was a kid at that age, the most important thing to me was Saturday morning cartoons. Getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning because I couldn't get up at 8 o'clock for school during the week, but I could get up at 6 5.30 in the morning on Saturday. And I was in front of the TV watching Scooby-Doo and watching, who else did I watch? Deputy Dog, uh, Josie and the Pussycats, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, all that Saturday morning stuff. Now you get up on Saturday mornings, there are no more cartoons. There's no cartoons. The children have nothing to look forward to on a weekend. But then again, the children are glued to their phones or their tablets or their computers. And guess what's on those phones, tablets, and computers? Access to porn. 
that's probably why they need to start training children early about human sexuality before they turn into pervs. Well, guess what? Many of them are going to turn into pervs anyway because that's just the way life works out. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but uh, I have a friend. She's trans, and she knows who she is and what she wants to be, and, you know, I respect her for that. I always did. You know, she knows who she is sexually, and you know what? I know who I am sexually. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. And uh, if you can do that and keep it in your pants, okay, then we're fine. It's when you go around trying to force children to figure out what it is they are when they had, they can't even spell their names. And there's something else that I found out the other day. I was talking with my brother-in-law. He's an educator. He's an athletic trainer for a high school here in San Antonio. But he mentioned to me that the kids nowadays cannot read, much less write, in cursive. Now... When I was growing up in school, cursive was the way to go. Cursive was the way everybody wrote. Now everybody prints. Nobody writes in cursive. And if you write something in cursive and ask a kid to read it, it's like trying to read Russian or German or gibberish. They have no idea what the words mean because they're written in a, in a style. It's, it's like if I was trying to decipher shorthand. So... This is more than just an issue for trans or bi or straight. It's about the survival of a species. We're slowly dumbing ourselves down to, if you look at it this way, very basic sexual, sexual parts. You don't need to add or subtract because you know where you know where your dick goes. You know? Somebody or a machine will add or subtract for you. That is the, the thing that scares me the most. We have other problems to worry about other than whether or not my kid knows whether he's going to be try, bi, straight, or gay. Did I say try? I didn't mean try. I don't even know what that is. But you know what I mean. Uh, so, there, you know. Well, hopefully, if you have kids that are in school, I don't think you would want your teachers, whether they're teachers gay or straight or bi or tri, to teach your kids about their sexuality. There's more stuff that they need to learn about the Constitution, about the Pythagorean theorem, about Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution than to learn about where your dick goes. Yeah, I'm sorry I said it, but sometimes I, I got to go blue in order to get the point across. All right. Well, hopefully you're teaching your children better than that. You're teaching your children how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. How to write. The proper use of English. There, there, and there. Are used so poorly today, it's, it's, it's impossible. I don't, I don't know. I, I read the things people write on my Facebook. 
and they really don't know the use of there, there, and there, then you know what I mean. But uh, that's another topic for another time, and we'll get that to get we'll get to that later. So I'm going to wrap up this segment, this block, and we'll move on with more stuff. So stick around. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host Ben Hur. Stick around. Be right back. Listening to the Chairland Chronicles, I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur, and that is Kansas with a point of no return, which leads us into this block. Have we reached a point of no return when it comes to COVID? I don't know. I sometimes, with the uh, federal judge that has said that these mask mandate aboard uh, airplanes and trains and buses was not constitutional, it didn't follow the science, so the mandate did not stand, and everybody with a sigh of relief on an airplane took their masks off. Now, some people left, left their masks on because that's your choice. Once again, it boils down to choice. Something that was, was were taken away from us at the beginning of the pandemic. We were all told to mask up, lock down, and stay inside. Don't go anywhere. And it's been two years, and we're tired. And with the advent of the vaccine and the fact that many, many people are vaccinated and many, many people are getting their boosters, the need for masks, yes, the virus is still transmissible, but it's not as bad as it once was. Yes, there are spikes that occur in various parts of the country, but yet hospitalizations are lower because of the vaccinations. So it goes back to, have we reached a point of no return? Because now they are challenging the judge's decision of uh, the mandate being unconstitutional. Once again, it's about the science. And as always, science is left up to the individual. It always has been. Do we vaccinate our children? Do I get the flu vaccine every year? Do I take an aspirin for a headache? It's choice. Sometimes we reach a point of no return where we don't do those things and we pay the price, i.e. me. I didn't watch my health and it got away from me and now I am on dialysis. But now I'm trying to reverse that and I'm trying to live a little bit healthier. I'm not perfect, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect, I'm far from it. But I'm trying to live a lot better than I have been. So, the mask mandate. If you wanna wear a mask on an airplane, by all means, please be my guest. 
I choose not to. I don't, I don't even choose to wear a mask when I'm at clinic, but yet I am forced to. Many medical uh, doctor's offices, uh, hospitals, will require that you wear a mask simply because they, I, I don't know, do they know better? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, for the way I see it, it's a game, I'll play it. So I'll wear the mask. I don't like wearing a mask at clinic. And I've explained myself to whoever's willing to listen that the virus can range in size from 5 microns to 10 microns. A mask will not allow anything to pass bigger than 5 microns. But if the virus is a a piece of particulate that's 3 microns wide, guess what? It's going through your mask. Oh, but wait. If you're not wearing a face shield, and this was my point, I don't have a face shield. So now what if that piece of, of virus doesn't go in my lungs but lands in the the watery part of my eye now it's in my body and now it's going to make its way to my lungs but it's because I'm not wearing a shield so see nobody was told to wear a face shield just a mask there are so many things about the science that were not followed why? because this was this is the way I see it. This was a test. A test of control. Many of you forget that this was the, whole, the agenda of the left, of Joe Biden. You know what? And, and, and they talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a puppet. Joe Biden was a pawn. Joe Biden was a man that wanted to be president so bad that the certain elements in the party felt sorry for him and said, hey, well, we can use that to our advantage. We make him president. We run the country in the shadows. And we get our agenda moving. And that's exactly what happened. If it's, That's my point of view. That's my conspiracy theory. That's the way I think. And that's, you know what, that's that's my thing. You don't, if you don't believe that, that's fine. I don't, I'm not going to expect you to, but, you know, if you stop and think, though, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So now, I'm going to take you back a ways. Do you remember back when Black Jesus, and I'm talking about President Obama, was in charge? This is like 2010. And he had this little thing called the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, Obamacare. And because he had a Senate and a House that was Democratic, it passed easily. So then everybody had to get Affordable Care Act. And this was a boon. This was a big boon for people that didn't have insurance because a lot of people didn't at the time. (coughs) So you would get, you would sign up for the ACA. I did. Excuse me. I signed up because I didn't want to pay the $900 fine. This was the first test in control of a population by forcing you to get the Affordable Care Act. Now, if you had insurance, guess what? You were going to be forced to leave your insurance for Obamacare. 
and a lot of people lost their insurance coverage and went to ACA and got a lot less than what they were doing before when they had the private insurance. So now in my case, I have Medicare, which covers quite a bit, and I have to, I have to give it a lot of credit, it covers quite a bit of my medical uh, costs. But uh, there are a lot of things it doesn't cover that I would like to get taken care of. But that's another story for another time. So this was the first exercise in control of a population. Force them to buy something whether they wanted it or not. And for the most part it worked. Then 12 years later we have another the second test of control, the vaccine, forcing people to get a vaccine. A lot of people resisted, and we have a very large chunk of the population that isn't vaccinated simply because they don't trust the vaccine. You know what? I'm, I'm compromised because of my situation, so I got the vaccine. Seems to be working for me. I mean, I have not gotten COVID, knock wood, and uh, I'm probably tomorrow going to get my fourth, my second booster, my fourth shot, and continue on with my life. Choice. It was my choice to get the vaccine. Nobody forced me to get it. Now, if you don't want to get it, that's your choice. I will respect it, but also know that you run a higher risk of getting sick as opposed to somebody that's been vaccinated. Now, don't get me wrong. The vaccinate the vaccine didn't work for everybody. There are some people that it gave them problems, but then again, every vaccine does that. There are some people that get the flu vaccine. They get the flu. It doesn't help them. So there are some people that are... I don't want to say immune to a vaccine, but it doesn't work for them. So there you go. What are you going to do? You're just going to have to go without the vaccine and hopefully you don't get COVID. You know, there's a lot of people that have gotten COVID that weren't vaccinated. They survived and now they're lucky because now they have the antibodies in their blood and now they can still go get vaccinated and now they got double the, the amount of antibodies. But people that have had COVID have gotten it again the second time. It's just, you know, a lot of times it's random chance. And once again, it's the point of no return. Where do we go from here? Mask mandates, vaccine mandates. And it all comes from the same party that forced you to buy Obamacare. What is the next test for control? It's coming. It is coming. It's in the works. And it's coming. I don't know what it is. But I can assure you that it is coming. I've, I think I've heard rumblings. I forget what it, what it is. But it's something that's not going to make people happy. 
this is the world. Maybe we have reached the point of no return. I don't know. You want to fly, and you want to you want to wear. If you want to wear a mask, by all means, like I said, be my guest. Put it on. I'm not going to fault you. I'm not going to argue with you. But if I don't wear a mask, leave me be. Give me my peace. Give me my space. If you're woke, let me be. And I will let you be. And hopefully we won't have so many fights of people on airplanes or train stations or bus terminals. And hopefully the people up in Washington will get their heads out of their collective asses and figure out that it is we the people, not you the president or you the senator or congressman. It is we the people. We have to decide what is best for us and what we want. If we want a vaccine, we will get it. If we want to wear a mask, we will. That's just It's just that simple. If you're that woke, why does it so... F- friggin' hard for you to understand that to get it okay well have we reached the point of no return you tell me uh alright well we're gonna wrap this block up and we will be moving on so thank you for listening to the Chairland Chronicles I'm not dead yet I'm your host Ben Hur stick around we'll be right back with more stuff And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I know sometimes there's a lot of crap that you probably think, oh man, this is ridiculous. Ben, why are you doing this? Well, these are thoughts and random things that float through my head, and I like to get them out because one of the things that I learned from doing stand-up comedy, and later on when I would be uh, a co-host on a talk show on talk radio uh, radio station back in the early 2000s, I like to talk, and I like to talk in front of people, and I like I have an opinion about many things might not be the most popular one, but I have an opinion and I like to get it out there. So I like to share it and I hope you will share your feedback with me and uh, see what happens. You know, this is what happens when you expose your mind to other people, your thoughts, your goals, and you listen to theirs. And you start a dialogue and you find common ground that I can relate to you and you can relate to me. And then we're friends. Because I've lost a lot of friends over minor crap, you know, but I've kept a lot of them. And I've done that for a reason. Because we're able to communicate. We don't have to see eye to eye. But as long as we can see what the other one is talking about, we're, we're good, we're getting along. So, this is the gist of my podcast. This is the gist of this past hour. I really do appreciate you listening. I also appreciate the people at Anchor Radio for putting my podcast out there, for helping me get along. If you want to 
get your voice out there, get your thoughts and your ideas out there, get your own podcast going. Just go to the Anchor uh, website, download the app, and it'll walk you through it. And it's really easy. You can add your own uh, background music that they offer, or you can use what I do uh, when I use my tablet and uh, make it a little bit more enjoyable, like you're listening to a radio. All right. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank the people at Anchor Radio for putting up with me. Thank you for putting up with me. And I hope to see you again next week with another episode of the Chairland Chronicles. Remember, live, laugh, love. Live your life as it's your last day on earth. Love everybody, especially yourself. And laugh at everything around you. Not in a bad way, but in a fun way, because life is funny. I learned that a long time ago. And you can't laugh at it, you can't laugh at yourself, you got a problem. All right, you take care. I will catch you on the flip side. As I always say, these are the Chairland Chronicles signing off. Thank you.